0: The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Picture Perfect, our recommended game of the week, discuss recharging with board games in the School of Gaming, and wrap it up with our high five games from 2012. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co host, Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael? Doing great, Doug. How are you? I am fantastic. Do you have any follow up from last week?
1: No follow up? I'm ready to jump right You're in. You ready to jump? Tra- 10 toes. Let's just get into the podcast. All right. Did
0: you acquire anything this week? I did.
1: What? <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Um, there's a website right now that has free shipping on games. Mm. One of the games I'll openly talk about here as a it was a classic impulse buy. I saw it at twenty dollars. Uh, game called Cora, a game that you have in your collection mm. but for twenty bucks and free shipping. I uh, I put my Lenten issues on hold, and I got two games this week. The second of which I will be talking about in a later segment. So just
0: hold that thought. Uh, how about you? Well, you're breaking, letting promises like my wife. Hers Uh-oh. was to not online shop. Okay. Uh, our doorbell has not stopped ringing. <laughs> Every day there's a new package at the door. Yeah. So that one's a swing and a miss. Uh, the only game I acquired this week is Meadow, which is nice. a uh, from Rebel Studios, the same design group that did Dream Home, which was yeah. one of our recommended game of the week. Recommended games of the week. Episode eleven sure there you go (laughs) is that accurate yes all right perfect um so hopefully we'll get that played shortly and and see how that one goes. But that's the only one I acquired. How about playing? Have you played anything? I've played a ton of
1: games the past week. We are on spring. My kiddos are on spring break, and I, I played a bunch. How about? Why don't we start with you and we'll
0: see where the conversation goes. What did you play this past week? Well, I played uh, Quacks of Quedlinburg oh, with nice. my wife and an oldest daughter. We talked about that in great deal in episode forty nine. That is a push-your-luck bag-building type game where you're trying to make a potion and hopefully it doesn't explode mm-hmm. uh, as you are, are drawing ingredients to put into it. Um, I've been playing Tumbling Dice, which I made a copy with my dad. It's oh. a a um, dexterity game in which you are flicking dice off of a ledge and where they land determines how many points you score from it. So if you... Uh, the the value that's facing up, whichever tier of this ramp it lands on, is is your score. So it gets a, multiplied, right? Yeah, it's a multiplier. Yeah. And so we made a real nice one out of Birch and Walnut. Look at you. Oh no, yeah, we're so handy over here. I don't think I could even
1: buy one out of Birch and Walnut. <laughs> I don't have the skills to do that. No, like it on, isn't. on an Amazon one
0: button buy. So look at you. You
1: you, you could, built your own tumbling dice. Yeah, huh? you
0: could three D print it. It'll come out the size of this phone. <laughs> <laughs> no, so we've been playing that the the Every kid in my house is, has enjoyed that. That's awesome. So, we've been playing a little bit about that. A uh, little bit of that. How about you? Yeah, we played some silver and gold. Actually, first
1: time in a long time, played a game at a pub. So, we were at a hotel with family over the weekend, and there's college basketball on. And, and you know, the young kiddos wanted to go to sleep. And me and my brother in law and, and Josie, oldest kiddo, we said, let's go down to the hotel pub. And we played some silver and gold. And then a good old-fashioned game of Slap with the cards. I don't know if you've played that. Uh, It goes by several different names. I knew it as Slap growing up. You know, you get pairs if a face card follows a face card, and you try to um, run out of cards. Or you try to collect all the cards, sorry. And then uh, Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza. Hmm. So just some good, you know, gaming at a pub, eating some cheese curds and a pretzel and watching basketball. It was fun and being able to teach silver and gold. It was one of those games that showed up on a list of being able to teach while you play. Well now you could teach while you play while you're at a pub watching basketball. So um played that and then played some games with you. Yeah and, we Yeah, we
0: followed up on that invitation from a couple weeks ago, except you were the one cooking the brisket, not me. Yes. And we got to play some games with our wives. And some heavier, I don't want to say heavy games, because my wife's not going to play heavy games, but some, not not party games, let's put it Doug, that way, right? your wife destroyed you, so you want yeah, to choose four your... Points. <laughs> four points. Four points. <laughs> I will keep my dignity. <laughs> Barely. Okay. okay. Let's tell people what the game was. Alan Armoons. Airlines Europe. So, unfortunately, it's a one that's out of print currently, but it was... Uh, culmination of three different games i think it was a game called union pacific then it became chicago express and then it became airlines europe and it is a stock market style game of route building building. building And, and the route building is irrelevant outside of the fact that it makes the there are eight plane companies in the game that you are vying to control ownership of and as you make the routes bigger it doesn't matter where they're going essentially you make the airline more valuable and so you're trying to make companies valuable but the way that the stocks come out or the shares I should say uh, your opponent may get more shares than you and have more control and then get more victory points on the airline that you spent all of your money building up into a powerhouse yeah so that is the that's the game and it, it was on my wife's honorable mention for her high five favorite games a couple episodes back and she really likes it and I, I was surprised it didn't make her high five I really liked that game. So it's a it's a good one. It's got a little bit of that ticket to ride feel with the a little the bit way. of
1: ticket to ride meets raccoon tycoon a little yeah, bit Just yeah how exactly. things are paying out. I I, what I liked about it, there are random points of when you're going to get paid out based on your your the routes that you own or the stocks that you own. And that, they're, the tension built <laughs> throughout. Yeah. You know, oh, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? So I had a, a, a blast playing it. I'm glad you own it because as much as I liked it, I am not paying $200 on eBay to get a new <laughs> and shrink copy of that. Yeah,
0: well, and that's interesting, too, because when you're – Uh, getting a collection and things go in and out of print like they do it's it's certainly not a situation where I held on to that game because I'm like oh eventually this is going to go out of print and it's going to be worth a bunch of money like I don't do that you just have like I don't even know what's in my collection that's not in print right now that I could pull off the shelf and say oh well I guess that's 75 dollars you know that type of thing but it You know, we talked a little bit about it last week about that cult of of the new and the idea of people always wanting the newest, latest thing, and I, I still want to dive into that deeper in a school of gaming segment, but I was thinking about it and I wanted to get your opinion on it, which was the idea how much of the cult of the new revolves around the idea of getting a game that has buzz and then potentially being the only one that has it like in your game group, like that feeling of like, oh, it's so hot, and I've got a copy. I I think that
1: could be it. I do think that in order for that to be true, somebody has to have the means to be able to do that. So they are either flipping those games very quickly and at least breaking even or making a few dollars, or they're in a position where they can do that. And I, I think the other... So, yes, I think that that's true. The other thing that I think is true, there are people who constantly want to be playing new games, mm-hmm. and they, they'll, they will play any game once and play most games that are great two or three times. But they're not going to, you know, I've talked about Sleeping Queens and, and and Silver and Gold. How many times have I talked about Silver and Gold on this very podcast? Yeah. Um, they're not going to be replaying games 15, 20, 30, 40 times. You know, Board Game Geek has that H factor of how many times are you playing a specific game, right? And I know I butchered that a little bit, but... I think both of those things kind of come into that cult of the new, that within the hobby of gaming, there's a group of people who definitely want to be that person who's like, well, I got this four days before the rest of the world, and we're going to play it once. And then there's also people who just constantly want to play new games. Um, Not saying that either one is bad, but I think that both of those are contributing factors um, within that industry that puts out
0: 3,500 titles a year. Yeah, well, that, and and unfortunately, I think with any hobby, you have people that aren't fiscally responsible. Yeah. You know, that are buying stuff that maybe they shouldn't be buying. I mean, you know, and I think that <laughs> Michael raised his hands for those of you not watching on video. Um, so I think there's part of that, too, is it's like it's not necessarily everybody with means, is that there are some people that are, Hooked, addicted to that idea yeah. of I've got this new hotness regardless of whether I can afford it or not just to say I have it while it's out of print or, or mm. that initial buzz of like I got it and you can't get it anywhere now it's completely sold out and there's games that like Meadow was a game that was like that and I'm not hunting down a copy after it goes out nor am I hunting it down to, to be able to say that I have it. You know, it's like when it comes back in print, I'll I'll pick up a copy. If not, oh well. You know, yeah. If if it's that popular that it went out on its first printing immediately is out of stock, you can bet they're printing another one. There's going to be another one coming down the line. So, it just there's a lot of interesting things in that concept of the cult of the new and always chasing after that that next big thing. I I
1: do fall into that trap though. If I not with games that I have not played often. It's happened to me a few times where I have to have this game for Christmas so I can play with my kid. You know, mm-hmm. I, I ran into that with Dune Imperium. I, 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 I have to have this for that event. But after I play a game, if I really like it, I, I do worry about am I going to be able to get this to add it to my collection? So I, I run into that. Um, and then I have to just run through the thought matrix of where's my game allowance at for, yeah, for the month. Am I in the red? Am I in the black? am <laughs> I do I need to go on a, on pause for a while? So um the the space is the other factor that yeah. that I think you know, just how games churn. Uh, I was listening to a podcast a few months back, and they said, you know, if you want used games, just go on Facebook and look at the different things in marketplace. There are so many different things like that. Where you can find used games that were at the very top of the hotness, you know, six months ago, three months ago, now they're out there for half price.
0: So makes me wish I collected thimbles; they would take a lot less space. (laughs) Thimbles. There you go. (laughs) I didn't know where you were going with that one, Doug. Yeah, no. So, interesting topic, and I'm sure we'll dive into it more in the future. You could fit a lot of thimbles in your calyx. I know. God, just think of the possibilities. (laughs) Whoa, sorry, distracted there for a second. Um, all right. Well, if you got any questions for us, remember to reach out to us. Go to our website, gameschooler.com. Email us at email at gameschooler.com. Uh, if you got any questions, comments, we'd love to interact with our listeners. But without further ado, let's go to the recommended game of the week.
1: Recommended Game of the Week. Had to tone down a little. Got some (laughs) feedback about last week, folks. So if you're expecting more enthusiasm, tell me to bring it more next week.
0: Hey, I didn't tell you to bring down the enthusiasm. I just bring back the The volume. Recommended Game
1: of the Week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection. And it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Picture Perfect by Arcane Wonders, and it has unanimous approval in both of our households. Doug, <laughs> give us the stats.
0: Published in 2021, although not released in North America in toth- until 2022, the designer is Anthony Nouveau. The art is by Ronnie Labore, Gayula Pazgai, Soren Meddig, and Maya Vorsek. I apologize if I... Keep going. Murdered those names. We do our best. Two to four players, about 60 minutes, ages 10 and up. How do you take the perfect picture of a group of people if you only have one try? Each character has different wishes. Some want to be in the front of the picture. Some want to stand next to another. And some really don't want to be next to that one particular person by any means. Yeah, that's probably me. Do your best to make everyone happy, even if you don't actually know all the characters' preferences. In Picture Perfect, you need to arrange 14 characters to take the perfect photograph. Each of them has three specific desires that you want to fulfill. Unfortunately, these desires are in hidden envelopes. During the game, the players try to take a look inside these envelopes to figure out how to place the characters correctly. To do so, they trade their information with others, Or maybe try to hide it. Whoever earns the most points at the end of the game has fulfilled the most desires and becomes the master photographer. So as it says there in the description, you've got each character of those 14 characters, they have three cards that are randomly placed inside the envelope uh, at the beginning of the game, and that says what they want, whether they want to be standing in front, if they want to be standing next to another character. And so, throughout the course of the game, there are six rounds in which you have the opportunity to look at some of the envelopes and try and organize your characters, their little standees, organize them in your picture around the table. And then at the end of the game, you are going to take a picture trying to meet as many of those objectives as possible. If you put somebody in the picture and they, you don't meet any of their objectives, you're going to score negative points for that person. If you get one of their objectives, you'll get one point. Two of them, you'll get three points. And if you manage to get all three of them, you ding, get ding, six ding, points. Ding. In fact, there are also these VIP cards that you can secretly slide into the envelopes, and that character will score twice. So it's possible that if you screw that character up... And you get negative three points, you may end up with negative six, where somebody else may get 12 points out of a single character. And so that's kind of how the game works. At the end of the game, you're going to take your cell phone and take a picture and try and hide certain people, uh, make sure other people are visible. And then at the end of the – after everyone takes their picture, you score. Um, And that's pretty much it. That's the way the game plays. Uh, what do you like about this one Michael? So I don't typically get super engaged in memory
1: games, but my short-term working memory it's not the greatest Doug. That being say? said, I love the challenge of placing characters and trying to hold on to what conditions need to be met and even having played this game a few times now, I will you know line up characters kind of off the board so that I have little mnemonic devices. Blue dress goes in front of Butler. Blue dress goes in front of Butler. <laughs> and um, I, I just absolutely love that. This is a family game night special in our house, one that I could see bringing the table for many years to come, much in the same way as Dream Home, from which was our recommended game of the week back in episode 11. Um, I feel like nine-year-olds on up have the ability to dominate their game board. 9, 10, 11 could be a little bit of a stretch, but yeah, I mean, my my oldest kiddo played right next to me. And after, and and Josie's 13, and just one time we were partnered up on it, she could absolutely play this game again on her own independently. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so there's just a lot that I like about it. It's quick. Uh, The setup the first time might take a little bit more time than others. But but just because you're loading those those decks, but there's so many fun little pieces of it. I also really like how the scoring, it's on on the back of this. Um a shield, a player uh, shield, a player shield. I was going to say like an ACT board, but I, that wouldn't make <laughs> sense to a lot of people. Like you're taking a super secret test. So on after you know you take a picture of your game at the end, you fold it up and you keep score right on that player shield. So there's just also a wonderful little efficiency in, in the game as well.
0: Yeah, that player shield actually acts as the backdrop for your picture and then folds down to become the there scoring uh, mechanism. I agree with you on on your first point there, especially is that I don't care for memory games whatsoever. Oh, see, I didn't know that. And I don't... 65 episodes in <laughs> and we're learning still, huh? Yeah, no, and I don't feel like this... It does not fit that memory... It's not long enough It's to. not. It's not memory match. You're not playing yeah. memory match. There is those moments where... Uh, and we'll get into it a little bit later with the skills, but where you think that you've seen somebody, but you actually haven't. You just saw them on somebody else's card that somebody wanted to stand next to them. Uh, so that pops up. But this game has easy rules. I mean, you play one round, and everybody kind of gets the, yep. the gist of how it's going. And i we often don't do this, but I want to applaud the rule book on this one because I think the rule book is really well done um, for picking up this game. And and kind of understanding what's going on the the amount of times that I read a rule book five times and I'm still like what is this game I need doing to play it. yeah you know um, I love the idea of trying to keep information from other people you know that's part of the game well is... let's
1: explain that a little bit more so from round to round certain envelopes can get passed and certain envelopes you can hold on to yeah and sometimes you have a choice in that it will say you know pass an envelope to the player on your left. And other times, somebody can come and take an envelope from you randomly, and if I purposely, or purposely, yeah. <laughs> but take take yes, all right. But go ahead, take it. Lost yeah. my train.
0: No, so that's the every round. There's a there's an action that's going to happen where it's some sort of exchange. There's two actual two variants of this game. One. In the box, one of them is just a straight random exchange, and it's different ways that you can exchange the, the characters amongst each other. Um, and then there's also uh, an auction variants where you can auction little decorative pieces that are points at the end of the game in order to try and bid uh, on characters that you want to see that type of thing. And we've played that. I think it probably works better with a higher player count. The auction. Yeah. Where you have way more people going on. We did it with three, three players and it just kind of stalled out. Wasn't that, that enjoyable, but the standard exchange that's in the box, those exchange cards, which is pass a card. Everybody passes one to their left Or There's one where then there's always two card. Well, there's, it changes based on the player cards, but there are some cards that are in the middle of the table that nobody has seen.
1: Off the deal. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to get.
0: You know, and so there's there's one card, I think, where everybody puts all the characters back in, and they're all reshuffled and, and distributed out. So you might get lucky and, and get new people. You might get or the same ones. Or you the exact same. You know, yeah. so there's that variability and that maneuvering, but I like that. It's like, I... I'm going to put a VIP one in this card so it scores double, and I'm going to try and do whatever I can to make sure no one else sees this card. Um, So, and That's one of the the tricky parts, too, is because you can choose not to put somebody in the picture, and you don't score points from them, but you don't get penalized either. So you're trying to balance that out as well. So I admittedly, and and will sometimes get made fun
1: of from you and from other people who play a lot of games with us, I love a lot of games and oh and, and, well, michael likes every game i will say one i want to circle back to to something i was talking about earlier one of the reasons why i think this is a family gamer classic in our house are because of what you talked about with the easy rules no two games are ever the same because of how the cards are loaded randomly mm-hmm. and I, I just think this is something that has high replayability that because it's set up and done in a half hour maybe 45 minutes if somebody's really taking their time it's something that can come out on a Sunday afternoon. We're screen freeze on we do not have devices or screens on on Sundays until four or 430 four o'clock and um, so that's when we play a lot of board games and this is, would be one that I could see multiple kids of mine wanting to go to the shelf to get uh, to, to play so, yeah
0: and I the other thing is that the components are are fun and the the little standees and I think one of the things that I enjoy about this is that Whoever you play this with, there's always a little backstory or how you name the characters and stuff like that that adds another level. It's a a meta level of the game. (laughs) But it's like people are, it's just natural. You're going to say, oh, this is the gray haired guy. And then you put, you give him a name. And then like, yeah. This is John Muir. Yeah. (laughs) For (laughs) for any Wisconsin
1: people who had Wisconsin history growing up, John Muir is in this game. M U I R.
0: Look it up. (laughs) You know, and so it's like you're creating a little backstory. It's like, well, what's the deal with this? Lady, you know (laughs) what happened to her? What you know, the little love triangles going on, and there's that little bit of role playing that happens that you kind of put the pieces together how this family or who these people are and why they're getting their picture taken together. And And, it has that era, though, right? It feels like Great Gatsby era. Yeah, it it really does feel that. Yeah. The other thing that's really fun about this game, unlike a lot of games where you finish the game and it comes to all right now, everybody go in your corner and separate and count your victory points. This game, the scoring is super fun because you're revealing each character one at a time and announcing what their requirements are. You like that simultaneous pain and joy at the table? Yes, it's oh, awesome. Oh,
1: I forgot. Yeah, two VIP cards. You know, I mean, if
0: you're you're comparing it to that, it's like, all right, well, I got a combo over here, and I'm going to do this here, and that goes there. I get six points over there. Yeah, and everybody's doing that in the corner. Not so uh, much fun. This is like bingo at the end. Fantastic. Yeah, you it know, is. it's like a bingo caller, like ah, oh, yes, I got it. Um, which is not common in games and so it's weird that the thing that's you know takes five minutes at the end of the game is just as you know enjoyable as the game that's a good point that's a really good point Doug I of course I love the the personal puzzle you know there is solitary moments in this game where you're trying to to maneuver and figure out where where the characters can go and that type of thing but because one of the rules allows you to go back and look at other
1: envelopes that you have so if I have three envelopes all three need to be in front of me and I can only look at one envelope at a time. But what Doug's talking about, some of that puzzle aspect, it's, well, where is this one supposed to be positioned? And you can go right to that envelope, pick it up, and look at it again. So there's yeah. definitely an advantage of of having that information. Um, you, what Anything that we didn't
0: cover about how the actual game works, taking a picture I at the end, placing I, conditions? I don't think so. I mean, there are some, some scenarios where you need to, you know, either somebody doesn't want Want their face seen, or sometimes they don't want another person's face seen. Uh, So there's a little bit of maneuvering there. The only thing that I would say as a as a concern, but I think the the rest of the game overcomes this. Is there is that solitary time? There is a little bit of quiet downtime between some of the turns as people are looking through their envelopes. However, I would make the argument that that. Is very engaging, so everybody yeah. is actively engaged at the same time, and there is enough interaction throughout the game that this does not feel like a solo game or that you're playing by yourself with no, um, with limited interaction. So there is some some quiet focus time that happens in this game, just so people are aware of that. And I think the target group for this is
1: families. Yeah, families. It, it will definitely work in a community setting if you're in a library or an after school program. But for me, The Wheelhouse, this is a family game. Uh, the only thing to note, gamer gamers may not appreciate that the game doesn't have that quote-unquote perfect information. So if you have a game group that likes heavy brain burners, uh, this may not be your, your go-to game off the shelf. Uh, but for many of our listeners, that may also add to the endorsement. Because if, if you're somebody who just plays games with your families and, and with your friends um i i i cannot recommend this
0: game uh, more strongly i guess yeah and this game got a seal of approval from both of our wives Yeah. so that's a a ringing endorsement not just a couple of gamer nerds telling you that this is a good game you've yep. got um and i
1: would say is a game that will be on my wife's shelf in her classroom you know right sure. now she she rotates about 10 games through pretty regularly has that one hour a day where kiddos
0: kiddos game, and I, I think picture perfect will find its way in there. All right, so on the surface, it doesn't seem like a game like this would be educational, not in the way that we're raised with educational games, but Michael and I disagree, and we both got a list of, of five skills that we think you and your kids can pull out of a game like this. Michael, you want to lead it off?
1: Yeah, Doug. uh, First time in game school or history, uh, certainly. Episode, what are we on here, 65? Dexterity. No, no. (laughs) All five, I actually brought six, but one of them I promise I'll cut before the end. All five of my skills are core skills. The game just... That's not allowed. (laughs) Well, I know, but I did it. So my first core skill is concentration, a game that encourages a student to focus their attention or efforts on a task. The puzzle in this game of having to fit, well, this this little person, this boy, needs to be next to the dog but cannot be next to the tree. But this person said that, that the boy's face needs to be covered, and trying to concentrate to figure that out um, is, is where I have that as my first skill to talk about
0: yeah. My, my skill, uh, the core skill that I wrote down, I've got process information, a game in which students must examine or analyze information. And that goes in line with what Michael was saying. You have to look at those cards and say, okay, what does this character actually want? And sometimes yeah. they are in disagreement with each other. So you're only going to score two out of the three objectives, you know, and that just happens based on the randomness that the cards go into the envelopes, but juggling all of that information and, and, and recalling it and saying, okay, what did that person want? What did that? But it's not in a cumbersome manner. It
1: doesn't feel like work. No, because you're yeah. only
0: managing a few of them at a time. Um, so I, I think you're right that it's not it's not overwhelming, yeah, because you only have three three characters in front of you at a time. And sometimes Some- when we talk about the if, this, then
1: that, it can, I, I can get lost in that.
0: You know, well, it, and I, yeah, and I think that's where it caters to the family mm-hmm. as opposed to the strong gamer gamer, because they would want to say, "How can I do this perfectly?" Yeah, and it's not about doing it perfectly, yeah, the game would bog down to a standstill if you if you approached it at that level. My next skill is observation, a
1: game that rewards careful watching with attention to details and behaviors in order to understand or arrive at a judgment in the last game that we played. I needed to see the woman who's on the—is it a yellow dress? Help me out with that color. Is sure, that yellow. Yeah, sitting down. Yeah, yeah, the one that's on the cover. Yep. Two, twice behind us here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I needed to see that card, and my wife was not allowing me to see that envelope. <laughs> and so right there, just by observing, it's like. Well, why is she holding on to that envelope? And I knew that I needed to see it, and I just had a sneaking suspicion there might be a VIP card in there or that was a special one. So observation, not just in my board, but also in observing what the other people at the table are doing in that middle game and towards the end of the game is a lot of fun and adds to that social aspect of the game. So observation uh, is the second core
0: skill that I'm featuring All right. I also featured a second core skill, which is goals. Not allowed. (laughs) A game game in which students have clearly defined victory conditions that they must work towards winning the game. And, And this I pushed a little bit further is that idea of each character has their own goals that they're trying to fulfill. So it's like there is the goal of the entire game, which is in every game, how do you win the game? But this one is almost like, how do you win each different character? If you're thinking about those is like there are a whole bunch of little mini games, it's like how can I accomplish as much as I can with this person and accomplish as much as I can with that person that stacks up to make the, the game as a whole. But I, I thought that was intriguing, that idea of individual goals per character that you're trying to meet and satisfy.
1: That's awesome. That's really good. I have direction following a game that urges players to play according to a set of rules and constraints dictated by the game's designer. Students will develop the ability to follow instruction in every game they play to do the fun part playing the game students will need to learn the constructs of each game and follow the directions in each created game world. There the, the nah I kind of lost my train of thought for the second time in a podcast man I might I might fire myself here. <laughs> It's not direction following in terms of following the rules. It's it's really looking at the board that's laid out in front of you and figuring out how am I going to get to see all of the different envelopes and what do
0: I need to do? Well, I'm um, sorry to interrupt, but it's yeah. like the idea of each character has their own set of rules. Yeah. Of what they want. You yeah. Know? So you've got to follow their rules to meet those to goals. Meet yeah. 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 Anything else on that? Or? No. Um, the other thing I've got is spatial perception the other skill I have spatial perception a game that strengthens a student's understanding of the spatial relationships with the objects in their environment and themselves as you're moving the characters around their the the frame that you've got to to take the picture you're you're moving them and saying okay that person wants to be in the back row can I move this person around so there's a lot of that Uh, mental gymnastics that you're trying to do to keep everything spatially correct. And and most of the objectives have to do with where they are on the board and who they're standing next to. And I would say that that skill improves – the more times you play the game. The first time sure. I played
1: the game, I think I scored like 15 points total because <laughs> I was just—I didn't understand how everything fit together and what am I doing, and I'm taking a picture at the end while consistently scoring in the high to middle 50s. Not that I want a pat on the back or a gold star or warm fuzzy, but the spatial perception improves the more that you play this game, and that's where I, I, I just think that it's another one of those family games that all you have to do is get to the table, play it, play it often, and those skills are going to start to develop. That's a really good one, Doug.
0: Thanks. I guess I'm going to take that warm fuzzy back to the story that I got you. Yep. All right. Return it. (laughs) If you don't
1: want Uh, it. I want them all. (laughs) Um, Problem solving, a game that rewards players for finding solutions to simple or complex problems. I don't think there's a whole lot more to say than the game is an entire set of simple problems that need to be solved one after another. So.
0: Yeah, my next one is risk management, a game in which students must identify, evaluate, and prioritize options to reduce the impact of an inf- unfortunate events or risks. So there are moments in this game where, you know, a lot of times we think of risk management in, in a cooperative type of setting where it's like, okay, what do we need to plan? There are moments in this game where you decide, do I put this person in the picture even though I don't know yep. any of their objectives? or there are times when you think that you know the person's objectives because you saw them that somebody else wanted to stand next to them. You didn't even actually see that character's envelope. So that idea of, like, well, do I throw the dice and maybe get one or two points and possibly get negative three, or do I just not put that person in the picture?
1: Well, and that's what it is. It's that type of dice-chucking randomness, where it's a sense of, I can kind of control how those dice are going to fit, right? I can kind of control if I play this person on the board, where the risk management is in there. The game that we just played this weekend, Josie and I were talking, I said, we're doing really well, but I think other people at the table are too. We have three open spaces. How many of these characters do we want to put in the space? And Josie said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, if, if we're wrong, we're going to get negative points. But in order for us to win, we're going to need to fill up one of those three empty spaces. And we just talked about it a little bit, and we knew one card that we had that needed to have the John Muir, the older gentleman with a beard who's bald, who's introspectively looking down at the ground in a very <laughs> dapper suit. And we placed a John Muir-looking fella on the board, and boom, we got a point. But we left the other two spaces empty. And not to go too deep in analysis of our game, but had we just randomly – filled those other two spaces with characters that we didn't see because we didn't see any of these three envelopes, Yeah, we would have scored negative on one of those because there was a VIP card in there. We hadn't met any of the conditions. So, boom, like you're talking about, negative three times two, that's, that's six points yeah. taken away. Yep. All right, what else you got on your list, Michael? Uh, Last one's decision-making, a game that allows students to make decisions based on currently or previously available information. Here's what – ooh, I bit my tongue. I'm so excited to talk about this one. Here's (laughs) what I love about the decision-making in this game. My board is not set until I take that picture at the end of the – is it sixth round? Yeah, sixth round. At the end of the sixth round. So in the first round, I can set – John Muir in the back, I can set the flower, I can set the dog, I can set the lady in a beautiful dress, I can set them. At second round, I can rearrange them all. At the third round, I can make the decision to rearrange them all. The person is truly the master of their own game board, and I don't think there are that many games, even the games where we've reviewed, where there's that level of control throughout the game until the very end. And then at the end... You take the picture, and it is set. So I love that flexible decision-making that happens throughout the entire game, especially for kids, so that they're able to maneuver um, the
0: characters as the game goes. Yeah, and the last one I've got is uh, Creativity. Which is may seem weird, but let me explain. Creativity, a game in which students produce original ideas that may be useful in solving problems, communicating, and entertaining. That's how we define it here at GameSchooler. Yeah, Schooler. and I think there are two spots where this uh, pops up in the game. One is I feel like you have to be creative in a way to meet multiple objectives and that kind of higher level thinking of just being like, okay, well, I need to sacrifice here, but I if I move these guys over in that way, then I can and maximize the points or at least get some points out of each of them as opposed to just one all in one place. But where it really comes in is when you're organizing to take that picture and the angle that you have to be at or, you know, in the last game we played, it's like I put there's a, a – big row of candles, I think. And it's like, I put that in front of somebody's face so that when I took the picture, you can't see that person's face. So it doesn't always need to be a a person. They have to be in their square, but you can rotate them. It's not problem solving. It's creativity. I think it's creativity on understanding that there's that angle and moving and just that position, I think of it almost as as a real photographer is figuring out mm. okay, where's the best position for everybody to be to make this picture work and make sense. Um, so I don't know, maybe a stretch, but I, like I, I think it's a it's an interesting angle of because especially in the last game that we played, there were moments where I'm like, oh, I can just hide that person with in it, and a lot of creativity yeah. is problem solving, right? Yeah. Is so they kind of go hand in hand, but it's like that creative thinking of oh, I can move the plant over here or I can move this thing and that can block that person and that you can kind of get away with completing a couple objectives at once. Doug, I have to tell you,
1: we've come into our high five recommended games. We've come into our high five list with 10 that we have to cut to five. That's how this was for skills Mm -hmm. In, in prepping for today's podcast. I think I could put another ten skills on here and we could talk for another twenty minutes. There are just so many different things that are in picture perfect.
0: Yeah. So and, many different skills. I well and say. The, the other thing too before we go is I want to the the box says sixty minutes and I don't think this is a sixty minute game unless First time. Set may, up. Maybe the first time. Yeah. Um but the the only way it would get that long is if you've got multiple players. You're at the higher player counts, and you're using that auctions, and the auctions are stretching out long. Well,
1: and you're playing with mouth breathers who are also on their phone <laughs> watching a game, online shopping, and you're also not just playing with mouth breathers, but you have a super processor at the table where it's doot, doot. All those things
0: would have – this is not a 60-minute game. Certain, yeah, certainly not with – not by playing the exchange cards. I think, I think the only time is if you start getting into the role playing and the auctions get pretty heavy would, would add the, the time to that. But yeah. that's with a higher player count. So that is Picture Perfect, a great game from Arcane Wonders that we strongly recommend as our recommended game of the week.
1: The School of Gaming! In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas, we hope, in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be discussing recharging with board games. All right, Michael. This is your topic as a. I, I love that disclaimer that you like to put out on those. Oh no, no! I just wanted
0: you to take the lead on it. You're, yeah, yeah. You're, it's your to. idea, so. So
1: I, I don't. My job right now, my day job right now, it's not terribly stressful. If I'm being honest with you, you know, I work at a state education agency, and uh, not not being stressful is a good thing. I mean, when I was a middle school principal. There were days that were hair on fire where I'm substitute teaching, putting out fires, angry parents, still working with great kids and great teachers, but taking my work home with me, going to sleep four or five hours, you know, waking up and the job it is go, go, go. And so I want to put it in that context of where 50, 60, 70 hour work weeks are normal. And then the first time I went to a board game convention with Doug and was able to just it truly escape and plug into a setting where the same part of my brain that allowed me to do my day job of solving problems and helping and serving and trying to figure out solutions and communicating and learning was now all of that was completely shifted and that focus was put onto a different activity a beautiful board game that was in front of me and so it's with that context that I'm talking about how board games can really help people recharge and rejuvenate. And and I'm speaking from lived experience and where I saw that we had a game day a few weeks back and a friend of mine, a friend of ours is still in that go mode. He's a superintendent at, at a, at a rural small school district and he works very hard and has a very challenging job and tries to do more with less every single day. And, When he gets to the table, you can see that he's able to just relax and play. And the games that we're talking about and we've talked about, they're so engaging that all those other problems, as long as your phone is put down and put away or put on do not disturb and that thing's not buzzing, you're really able to get immersed into a different world in a way that I think is really healthy, because you know we're not talking about drugs and alcohol or other things like that here, right? When you leave the board game table and get in your car and go back to your your world, you can still think about the game and think about how you played and think about the next time you're going to play games. So it's from that aspect where I think the, the game based learning and the game based learning unplug that we've talked about here, at Game Schooler, it works really well for for leaders. And and for people who are in high stress uh, positions, and, and sometimes that's not just a job; that can be a family. If you're taking care of five or six kids, if you're if I mean that that when you don't have time, whether you're a parent or a dedicated uh, servant, you know, in, in your job, make time consistently to play games, and I would contend that you will have more energy and be a kinder better human being. Now maybe that's too lofty. I can't prove any of that. I don't have the studies to show you.
0: Um, but that's just what I wanted to go in this segment. Yeah, I mean I think I think you're I think the idea of just professionals like I don't even necessarily I certainly it's helpful for leaders but just people working in in professionals in the working world and I thought about it on the idea of You know the the simple one is that there's there's just the basic stress relief, right? But how does that break down while you're playing the game? And one of them is there's three different areas that I thought of, which is redirecting your focus. You know, taking your mind off of things. So it's like you have a bad day at work, you have something that's really um, not great, stressful, uh, not a good problem to have at work. This is a great way to kind of escape and redirect your focus somewhere else and just kind of get away from it for a little bit, right? There's that level in there. There's the other idea of a creative outlet, which is keeping your brain working in a different way. And sometimes in my job, I know with your job too, it's like you're behind a spreadsheet for four hours. Mm -hmm. And sometimes coming out and playing a game and being able to use different parts of your brain and just open that up, makes it a little bit easier to go back to that spreadsheet the next day with a clear head yeah. and not feeling like you're bogged down. So there's that element. Element that That's a big element.
1: Yeah. Can I jump in on that one? Sure, I don't yeah. want to, but because the, the question that I wrote down, what do high performers do to rest up and get better? People who really get after it what are they going to do so that they don't burn out? Because burnout happens when job resources do not meet job demand, right? Schaffeli and Baker 2004. The study's a little bit dated, but it's a good one. Go look it up. If you have too much job and not enough resources, people are eventually going to burn out. So what can you add to avoid some of that burnout? And I, I think getting to the table consistently, having that time where you can be, plugged into a game is a really
0: healthy thing. Yeah, and I the other thing I've got here too is is the idea of distance, and I know that sometimes I'm working on a, a website project or something like that, and I just cannot figure out the code that I need to use to make it do what I want to do, mm. that kind of uh, square peg, round hole type of thing, and you're just, ranking is like, sometimes being able to just get away from it for a little bit, provides you that clarity to go back and be like, yep, that's what I got was it. missing, you know? And so those things on the, on the professional level, and I think this probably excels, you and I had talked about it off air, but the idea of this really works in those family weight games that we talk about here on GameSchooler. It's like, if you've got a high stress job, playing a four hour brain melter probably is not going to recharge your batteries. No. Um, It takes a special individual for that to recharge your batteries. That's not me. And so that's one of the things. um, Go ahead. Sorry. but, But knowing that it's Wednesday night and
1: on Wednesday nights we're going to eat a meal together as a family and then two of us are going to pick a board game and we're going to play that no matter what else is going on, that's our family game night that's not only rejuvenating to me personally, but allows me to plug in with the people that are most important in my life. And that's where I think that those things are very helpful.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah, you you just hit the nail on the head. I was going to go in and talk about that this is not, it applies past the professional and the workplace into families and the idea of giving families a, a connection time when they have busy schedules, and as you get the kids that are in in middle school and high school, and every kid's going in a different direction, you can bring seven days a week. You know, you can use games to to bring that family back together, at least touch base uh, for a little bit. And and the idea of just giving kids a break sometimes, because there is more of a push of you got to be in thirty activities, you need to be doing this, you need to be training like a professional athlete, and getting straight A's that's stressful. We are putting a lot of stress on our kids. And I'm sure that's a whole other school of, of gaming topic and can of worms that we could get into at some point. But just giving the kids opportunities to take a, a break and say that we are going to play a game with no consequences, <laughs> no real world consequences, yeah. and that's okay. And I think the whole big thing of this, uh, kind of in a nutshell, is the whole idea of, of work-life balance you know and whether that that work is is as a student in school or as a parent at a job or as a stay-at-home mom or dad that's you know spending all day with the kids is that that balance of of work and play and and making sure that you're getting those ratios right in order to stay on top of your game if you're anything like us you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out and we like to recommend some family-friendly, well, I don't know, I'm sure they're all pretty close to family-friendly this week, uh, games. This week, we're talking about our favorite games from the year 2012. That is 10 years ago for you, from math... the year 2012. <laughs> uh, so yeah, 10, 10 years ago for you math magicians out there, that is shortly after I got into the hobby, I think. Yeah, so these are some of these games were coming out right when I was getting in the hot. These were the hotness then. So I could not. I had a list of fourteen folks, fourteen that I decided I've got to go with ten because I would feel so embarrassed leaving so many of these games off the list. Um, so I've got a high high ten. Michael, what do you got? I'm coming in hot with five. This is, uh, if I'm honest. This is a
1: little bit of a, a gap for me in, in in gaming. I played a lot of board games 2000, 2004, 2007, and then we started to have children and things like that. And I didn't play many board games for the better part of eight or nine years. So <laughs> I'm coming in with five, Doug, and all five of these I have played. There's about another five there on my want to playlist that I haven't played yet.
0: So. All right, well, let's see if they're on the bottom end of my list. All right, my number ten is Descent: Journeys in the Dark, Second Edition. I emphasize second edition. So this one came out. I've got minis painted for it. Have not played it in a while, but this was we played this. We played a ton of this game. Uh, it is a dungeon crawl game. Uh, eventually they released a cooperative version of it, but at the time there's a a overlord person and the other characters are running through the dungeon trying to collect stuff, which it has then uh, morphed almost into the Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle-earth, that type of style of game. And it is great. I had the barbarian character uh, who was hulking up. He was awesome. So it's just a great game. That would be the only one on my list that, that would be... It's going to be a 35-minute segment. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. We'll move along no, faster. No, I love
1: it. I love it. You can see the enthusiasm, Doug. Hey, it's I just, love that game, yeah, man. You're, you're bouncing in your seat. You're talking... I'm going to guess you did not have children in 2012. I did. You did? Yeah. Really?
0: Yeah, my daughters. I didn't do my math right. Well, bad <laughs> guess for me. Keep going. All babe. right. My number nine, was recently reprinted, but I still think I like the artwork of the original better, it is Libertalia, published in 2012, obviously, by designed by Paolo Mori. Stonemeyer Games is a new publisher, two to six players, 40 to 60 minutes. Um, and the artwork of the original is very much like Pirates of the Caribbean. And this is a game where you start out, everyone starts out with the same set, of ten out of thirty cards, and they are pirate cards. You are playing one of them at a time. Everybody reveals them, and eventually, as the game goes on, you have uh, each round you have two left over, and then you add. But who, everybody's two that are left over may be different. So you are accumulating different cards as the game goes on, and trying to pay attention to when when people play it. And I always love that game. It's a great one. Good collecting treasure. You got the new version, right? I do. I do. I'm looking forward to getting the shrink off that, reading the rules, and playing it. Maybe we'll play it here in the next couple weeks. All right. Number eight is Tokaido by Antoine Bauza. How did I miss that? Two to five players, 45 minutes. This has come up on the lot of high five lists. Uh, I don't mean it to. I mean, it's a good it's a fun game, game, very relaxing as you stroll through Japan and you collect souvenirs and paint paintings and eat the local delicacies. It is a Zen game if there was ever a Zen game. So that is my number eight, Tokaido. Number seven, which I suspect is going to be higher on your list, is Freedom the Underground Railroad. We talked about this in episode 63 in the School of Gaming segment. Designer is Brian Mayer, Academy Games, one to four players, 60 to 20 minutes. Uh, a great game that handles the, the Civil War era in the United States. So well done in a board game, uh, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that one. Uh, in episode sixty-three, where we go into great detail on how the how the game plays as you're trying to rescue as many slaves as possible. Number six is Las Vegas. Uh, Designer is Rudiger Dorn, Ravensburger. Two to five players, thirty minutes to play. Again, this one pops up on a lot of my lists because it's fast, it's easy to teach, and you know every time you every turn you roll dice and you have to decide. On a number that you've rolled, all of the dice that you rolled of that number need to go to that casino.
1: I think that's like your
0: fifth time that game's
1: been on your list.
0: I, oh, it's I better, it's a, I, it's I a bunch. I need to play it. I need to play it. It's a good game. All right, Michael. We are now all up to right. to five. What do you got? Number five for me is Quix, Q U
1: I X X, designed by Stefan Bendorf. Two to five players. Fifteen minutes. Um, ages eight plus with a weight of 1.11 out of five reminder five is a brain burner one is like patty cake or bingo so this is really easy to learn and teach and in quicks you are rolling dice and writing in different combinations of what you rolled onto a little um, it's dry erase right dry erase uh, yeah. sheet or is it pen well, and paper
0: pen and paper on and the paper. regular and okay. dry
1: erase on the deluxe there's a, okay then i played the deluxe you have the deluxe because I, I think, think so, i played yeah. your copy and a nice little app for it as well you can get it in the app store and see how it works just an awesome little roll and write game uh that's
0: yeah. my number five and that was on my honorable mention list so that was one of my 14 one of your top 14 yeah Good. that i was like oh i really want to put this on there well Number five. So thank you for adding yes, that, Yes, you're Michael. welcome. <laughs> My number five is Love Letter. Uh, the designer is Seji Kanai. Z-Man Games is a publisher of that. Two to four players in 20 minutes. Simple game. There are 18 cards in this game. On your turn, you draw a card. You have a co- You start with a card in your hand. You draw a card, and then you play one of those cards. And the goal is either to have the highest card at the end of the game or to have knocked out all of your opponents And you can knock them out by guessing their number, uh, secretly comparing cards if your card is a higher number. So there's a little bit of deduction and gamesmanship that goes on. It's just kind of amazing that a game uh, that is so short with so few components can be that engaging in it in depth they released a whole bunch of there's a batman various ones i love the batman version they released a marvel infinity gauntlet and i think there's just a a palace one that just came out recently where they're taking that general concept and and adding themes and kind of mixing up the gameplay but the original came out in 2012 and that is my number five love letter that's awesome
1: i forgot something and i want to make sure i mention it about quick's that's published by Game right and Game right does such a great job. Uh, anytime we mention them, they retweet, and they've shown us a lot of love on social media. Um, you can also send us review copies if you'd like at <laughs> any time. We're, we're waiting on those rolling. And uh, to me, number four is Galaxy Trucker, designed <laughs> by Vlada Shvatl, uh published by Czech Games. Two to five players, one to two hours, I wrote down. It is 60 to 120 minutes on, on Board Game Geek. Uh, Age 10 plus with a complexity of 2.82 out of 5. And in Galaxy Truckers, you're building a ship only to try to have your ship not be destroyed as quickly as possible. <laughs> so you play out these cards in front of you and almost this little puzzle combination of this card can go along this card and next to that card. Um, And then stuff gets thrown at
0: you, and you're trying to keep your ship intact. Uh, Pirates and asteroids, mm -hmm. everything is flying at you. That one would have made my honorable mention. Didn't even see that one. So many, There are so many games released each year it, that it's it, hard to it, keep the, the, track I, of that.
1: Before we get a, a fan who's screaming at me, that, that the, uh, it's a big box edition, and I tried to stay away mm. from the anniversaries and this and that, but that big box edition had some other components that were in it. And so I, I hope that people will forgive, <laughs> forgive that you. oversight, the 2012 edition of
0: Galaxy Trucker. All right. For me, uh, number four is Machikuro which we talked about in episode 12. So, great detail on the gameplay there. The designer is Masao Saganuma from Pandasaurus Games. 2 to 4 players, 30 minutes. Basic game where you're rolling dice and then activating the cards in front of you that are buildings either producing wheat and all, all they're all producing money which then you use to buy more buildings to activate more buildings. First yeah. person to to build all of their landmarks wins the game. Uh, Just a great, simple, family-level game, and that is why it's my number four. Yeah, and I have it
1: as my number three, and you covered everything. Just go back two episodes to episode 63, and that we featured Machi Koro, and then we we also featured uh, Freedom the Underground Railroad. I'm going to keep talking, if that's all right, with you, Doug, because that's number two for me, so I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, Freedom the Underground Railroad, what you mentioned earlier, just a fantastic game that covers such a dark time in American history. Uh, in, in in that game, you are tracing through three different periods of of slavery. and and trying to get people out from the plantations and in in the southern United States and into Canada and the art on it and everything, the gameplay, it's just fantastic. So Brian Mayer and Academy Games, job well done on that. I can't believe that game's 10 years old. It does not play that way. It does not feel that way. Uh, Just a fantastic game. So I think we're back to you for your Number. number
0: three. My number three is Suburbia. Designers, Ted Alspach, Bezier Games, one to four players, 60 to 90 minutes. The original came out in uh, 2012. I have the collector's edition, which is awesome. They recently just printed a second edition that has phenomenal artwork, but this is essentially that SimCity in a box. You are playing down little districts of commercial, industrial and residential zones and, and trying to piece them together to, to maximize your points. And you're trying to increase your income and increase your population. And those are two, uh, levers that you have going back and forth that you're trying to balance as, uh, as you're, you get more, more people, it costs more money. So your income is going down and, and all those type of levers that, that just work out great. And, um, so that is my number three, Suburbia. Awesome. All right, what do you got? Oh, you got. You already said your number two, didn't yep. you? All right, my number two is Lords of Waterdeep. Peter Lee, Rodney Thompson, Wizards of the Coast. Two to five players, sixty to one hundred and twenty minutes. Uh, this is one of the first worker placement games that I had played, mm. and it was kind of a big deal when it came out because it introduced the Dungeons and Dragons theme kind of into the board game world and kind of opened up that the whole role playing game genre into the board game world and say oh okay with a worker placement element huh yeah and it's a simple worker placement so it's not one of those it's not overly convoluted it's very easy to follow um and just a simple it's a it's a t- one of those kind of timeless games i think that just holds up and it does what it does very well um, as you're trying to recruit clerics and warriors and, and all that type of stuff. So great, great game. That's my number two, Lords of Waterdeep. Awesome. Well, Doug, do you remember about an hour ago where
1: I told you that I procured two games, but hold on, I'll tell you what it was at the end. Uh-oh. My number one game is also Suburbia. Okay. And uh, the Suburbia Collector's Edition, it was for sale, half price with free shipping. And I was like, look, I know I've got this thing where I'm not buying games over Lent, but when <laughs> will I ever see this game at that price again? huh?" So, Suburbia, designed by Ted Allspock and published by Bézier Games, one to four players, 60 to 90 minutes, ages eight-plus. Uh, the weight is 2.77 out of 5. Interestingly enough, the Board Game Geek community actually says that it's ages 10 plus. It's the first time I've ever seen the BGG community have those numbers flipped where they said, no, no, no not 8 years old and plus. You actually want to play this game with 10-year-olds. I can't imagine but, playing it with an 8-year-old. Yeah, 10 say, is ten, steep. 10 is pretty steep. But this is a game that when that collector's edition, I mean, it's just... Fantastic! You said it's SimCity in a box, and the replayability—no two games ever play the same—and you are constantly building just awesome, magnificent cities from these tiny little oh, and
0: start with a few hexagons. and Now look at my city!
1: <laughs> so that—that's my number one of the game from 2012, Suburbia.
0: All right, my number one is on there because there's so much sentimentality attached to this game for me and that is Legendary, a Marvel deck-building game. Uh, Designer is Devin Lowe, Upper Deck Entertainment, one to five players, 30 to 60 minutes. This thing, when it came out, had so many things going for it. Now it's, I would say, bloated with the number of expansions that they've come out. I used to kind of keep up with them, and now... That is not the case. If I'm looking at my shelf, it fills up three boxes, <laughs> three boxes of Marvel Legendary. But the, the things that this did was it was it's a deck building game, so it builds off of, of what Dominion started. But it was a fun theme. It was a the, you know I'm nobody's going to be surprised that I like Marvel. What? I know. Marvel a, Legendary. Brace yourself. Um so it's got a great theme, it's got the Marvel characters and it's cooperative. You know, so it's doing two a couple of things there that it's like, wow, I get to play this cooperatively with people and it's a deck building game that's does all the things that Dominion does but in a theme that I like mm-hmm. and and collecting those those characters and it, it's pretty much a straightforward deck building game where you're trying to uh, you got two currencies money and strength and power and, and trying to change, chain those cards together to inflict maximum damage on, on whoever the big baddie that you're facing. They have so many different scenarios and and um, masterminds I think they call them in the game is the, the big bads in the game. So uh, great game for me that I love uh, to this day. Legendary, a Marvel deck building game. So and while I'm at it let's talk about some of these that I left off the list. You mentioned quicks yep Legends of Andor is a great game I haven't played that one yet it is a it's a cooperative game and I think it's the, come up twice in the last four or five episodes doug it's a um a cooperative game and what it kind of does interesting is it's in a fantasy setting but what's unique about it is that you always don't want you you don't always want to attack the the um the trolls and stuff that are attacking the cats. Like sometimes you just wanna walk around, around. On them. Yeah. And that's kind of different than a lot of that type of dungeony fantasy thing where it's normally like, kill all the orcs and you beat the mission. This one's like, no, sometimes you just Stay need alive. to avoid yeah. You know that. So that's kind of cool. Seasons is a great game with chunky dice that you're you're rolling and manipulating. Uh the the um, trying to think what the word is all, all these kind of spells and stuff that you're doing, seasons, yeah. The artwork on that game is phenomenal. It's uh, published by Lillabud, I think. And the last one on my list is Timeline, which is a oh, classic yeah. game. On uh, you have five cards in front of you, and there is a timeline in the middle of the board that keeps getting bigger and bigger, and you need to be the first one to get rid of your cards by placing your cards in the tr- correct area of the timeline. So those are four more great games that didn't even make my list that I have in my collection. All of these are in but my collection. But they did make your list because they got love on the top ten. Yes, but they did not the high get high five a, that turned into ten. I will not be sending timeline an official uh, ribbon like I will be the rest of these okay. games. <laughs> okay, fair point. <laughs> All right, so that is our high fifteen of well, Machikuro is was on your list, right? Yeah, three. All right, perfect. And so that is our high 15. That's going to do it for us this week. Uh, just want to remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review if you haven't already. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter at GameschoolerU is our handle on both of those. If you've got questions, reach out to us, email at gameschooler.com. Our website's got all of our Recommended games, all of our skill builders, all of that good stuff. You Discussion, con- guys. Yep. Contact form if you want to reach out to us. Gameschooler.com. Check us out there. Now get out there and keep game schooling.